0: Welcome to episode 821 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things I am. Radio team, welcome am to episode 821 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsome and Bevan James Oz. Oh, he's not in the studio today. He's he's at home because he's got issues. Oh, I'm being considerate. I'm being considerate.
1: Don't want to give you the old COVID, Bevan. The Rona. But but you've, when did you have the Rona? I'm, I'm, I'm clear of the Rona, but I'm still just being a little bit cautious this week. So, uh yeah, week and a half ago. How do you think you got it? I know how I got it, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to disclose that. But it was literally just going into someone's house who'd got it the day before, and oh. uh, and then next morning
0: woke up with a sore throat. Dreads. <laughs> okay, our talk is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. We've got Michael. Don't back down, Baker paula wave crasher ryan got sam the wild one wolves well, the wild one actually helped me make some videos on the weekend i was doing some videos actually i'll tell you a funny story at the end of it um mm-hmm. for my book we did some promotional videos and he was helping me out with that so he's a good young man sam is and this week's show we've got some news we've got a hot topic of the week we're going an interview We are talking to
1: Mark Elliott, who was—he's the coach, or formerly the coach of Bevan Doherty, who is, uh, for those you can't recall, he's a two-time Olympic medalist. He also led the Triathlon New Zealand program for a while, and also the Cycling New Zealand program for a while. And I was really keen to talk to him, just about the high-performance environment, and maybe give us uh, plebs a bit of an insight into what it's actually really like for for high-performance athletes.
0: Yeah, he was actually my first triathlon coach. Coach. I used him before I used you. Yeah. yeah. So he wouldn't remember who the crap I was, but because <laughs> he basically just write me a program and I'd talk to him every kind of three months. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk about news because it's a big week. We're going to have a few races. We've been away for a couple of weeks. So we're going to catch up on a couple of races. But obviously, there's a pretty big race happening up, coming up soon. So I'm happen when we're away. Did you watch the ending of the men's race, John? I did watch the ending of the men's race. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. If we go to the boys first, uh, there was
1: only, well, it ended up being. 13 seconds in it, um, so not much at all, but that 13 seconds exploded a bit in the last uh, couple of hundred metres because prior to that, it was a head-to-head battle. It was pretty interesting.
0: Well, well, so I didn't know the result. Someone sent me through a link saying, make sure you go to this point. I think it was um, Peter Colson sent through saying, go to this point and watch the race. So I kind of went to it, and it was you know, probably 5K from then. That was shoulder to shoulder. It did look like Hoffman looked more comfortable. Um, but at the same time, you y- who knows what's going to happen in those types of races, eh? But then basically, like it's probably about 500 meters from the finish, wasn't it? At most, yeah, I'd say, yeah, at most. He kind of put the foot down, you could just see Magnus was just cramping a little bit when the speed got to that next level, didn't he? Yeah, so the way the race panned out was uh, Magnus Ditlev uh, was on Ironman debut,
1: and as kind of you would expect, he managed to get to the front and was riding away, and then managed to have a, get a puncture or really slashed his tire oh, and had all sorts had all sorts of troubles um, fixing that and getting that off. So then as it turned out he ended up coming off the bike either very close or um with Ben Hoffman and uh ended up running uh, the majority of the, the marathon together uh and I got to say first up before we, you know for, you know discussing the finishing sprint uh for him to run a 2:40:56 on debut was pretty impressive he's a very ungainly looking runner cuz he's so tall and gangly Lean and lanky, he isn't did- he? Yeah, he doesn't look like he's running fast. but uh, And from the point where Bevan and I probably watched, which was the last, you know, 10 minutes of the race, they looked like they were running really, really slowly and then cranked it up to the sprint finish. So they must have been moving a lot quicker early on. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so, was Magnus, Magnus. On top,
0: but... uh, so what? he probably would have rode about five minutes faster, you think?
1: Uh, I don't know exactly how long... He was on the side of the road, but he looked like he was. Uh, the the footage that I saw looked like he was uh, having quite a bit of difficulty. So I think he did have to wait for a while. It wasn't like uh, the you know the aid people were there, right there and they were able to help him out. Uh, I think he did. It was multiple minutes. Wow. So, yeah, it was, he's a uh, real deal, yeah, really, isn't he? Yeah. So that was a really strong performance by him. Um, you know, again, he's a bigger guy. So whether he's going to, you know bigger guys often struggle a bit in Kona, but, you know, if you can run a 240 anywhere in the world, um, irrespective of your cycling and swimming, you're generally going to do pretty well. And because he's such a weapon on the bike, um, it was pretty impressive. So you'd think 7.58, 11 on debut uh, is pretty awesome. And you take, you know, a handful of minutes off that um, and could have been a lot quicker. So good on him. So the end result with Ben Hoffman was first in 7.57, 58. uh, A few seconds back to Magnus Sitlev and then another 10 minutes back to Jesper uh, Svensson on the female side of it it was a bit Wait, of a I gonna question i got a question
0: yep. so with Magnus he's a big dude but he's very lean you know he and we, is, and we yeah. think of some of the big dudes in Kona they're often quite stocky as well you know you yeah. think of like Tuoban you know all these big guys they're often quite big units does that, does yeah. that work against him or work for him that he's leaner
1: Oh, it works for him but he's still you know got a pretty big surface area but we see some big athletes do pretty well we don't really necessarily see big athletes um winning kind of. i'm just trying to think of the biggest people like uh um sultan was fairly solid from from memory but he's he wasn't that biggest, tall was he? I- yeah, he's probably the biggest that I can recall. Well the Jan Fredino's obviously um yeah, he's pretty tall. pretty tall, but he's he's very lean as well. So well,
0: you'd probably say um, he is the biggest because Hoffman, the other thing is Hoffman's quite a small man. So the comparison, yeah. maybe Magnus isn't as big as what we think he is, because Hoffman's yeah, you know,
1: maybe. Well, Ben Hoffman says in his stats he's 178. I th- I thought that's taller
0: than me. Okay, definitely yeah, sure okay, div- 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 like, 195. Okay, so I'm 181. Yeah. I'm basically under... Okay, so he is tall. Yeah. He's only and 24.
1: Okay, geez. Yeah, and no, he's a young fella. So, <laughs> good on him. Um, so, we will see him. Pretty sure he got a Kona ticket for that. So, we'll probably see him in Kona later in the year. On the female side, it was uh, Jocelyn McCauley did it... Um, She didn't look very comfortable, but uh, she won by 12 minutes over Lauren Brandon and Joanna Ritter in third place. So good to see Jocelyn Corley also clipping her ticket for Kona if she didn't already have her slot. Um, I know she did some racing late last season, but probably not quite as fast as we'd expect her. Having said that, 8.58 is not mucking around. But we know that she's a quality runner, and she only, only ran a 3:13. One of the challenges they had at this race was, um, yeah, it was fairly windy on the bike. Um, uh, so one direction they were pushing into a pretty heavy wind, and the other direction uh, spinning out of control. But even though it was a pretty flat course, so but you would say, racing.
0: would, would you, you would say traditionally, uh, females are about 40 minutes behind the men, so they're basically an hour behind the guys. So it was a bit of a slower female race.
1: Yeah, and normally you think Jocelyn Crawley is going to be closer to three hours. Uh, so you take you know ten minutes off that, she would have been eight fifty-ish, um, which is probably more we'd expect for her. But hey, still sub nine hours when you're not under any pressure and you've got a good lead is
0: is a good result. Still one an nine then, haven't you? We also had Ironman Australia happen over the last weekend, so Ironman Australia was dominated by Australian athletes. No surprise there. Uh,
1: yeah, well, and one Kiwi almost uh, took the prize, Rebecca Clark. She hasn't looked back since she came and did my Oxman race in, oh, there you go. in December. So I'm, I'm claiming it. That's where it all started for me. Uh, but she had a great race to, to push Sarah Crowley very, very close. So Rebecca Clark finished in second place in 9.07.10. Bit of a breakthrough for her. She qualified for Kona with that. And uh, Sarah Crowley only ended up beating her by uh, one minute. So always, she, they were always in the picture. Rebecca Clark did also get go uh, a little bit the wrong way in the swim. She's a very, very good swimmer. Wouldn't be surprised if she's leading the swim in Kona if she oh, really? pushes it. Um, but she took a bit of a wrong turn in the swim and um yeah, swam a little bit of extra distance. So she's pretty frustrated by that. But uh biked with um, or, you know, about the same time as Sarah Crowley and then ran a 312, which for her is a is a pretty solid run split on a on a you know slightly tricky course. So a bit of a breakthrough result for her and Sarah Crowley. You'll be happy to be in the, the winner's circle as well. So they had a big uh, gap over third and fourth. One the thing I'd say, John,
0: is mm-hmm. uh, they don't have the Oxman in the PTO's results. Oh, disappointing. Mate. She won the Port of wrong. So she's obviously having a pretty good year, but they mm-hmm. don't have the Oxman in there, mate. Just a because Probably because probably
1: I wasn't dishing out a lot of prize money compared to some other races. Okay. So um, I mean, we also had practice. the men's race. Oh, yep uh Jack Moody so we had some Ki- Kiwis finishing in 4th and 5th there Jack or well, Ben Phillips was in fourth, he's a brother of Mike Phillips, Uh, Jack Moody was in third, Uh, Josh Amberger was leading off the bike, but only ran a 3.02 to fade away to second place, and Tim Van Burkle took it out with a 52-minute swim, 4.32 on the bike, and a 2.45 run for an 8.15.13, getting towards, uh, probably towards the end of his career as Tim Burkle, he is 37 years old, uh, and yeah, so
0: he'll be pretty stoked to be back in in the, the winner's circle cool, I think. We also had a challenge race, the uh, Challenge Morgan Green Canara.
1: Yeah, and the, probably the one interesting thing from here was firstly Mecca Nude took that out uh, in 3.43 it was only half, and Sara Pelez Sala took that out in 4.10 but probably more importantly is a couple of athletes that didn't necessarily go that quick. Nicholas Spurig was mm. only in fourth place, whether or not there was some particular reason for that or not, I'm not quite sure, but doesn't... Put- really bode well for, um, the sub eight. Uh, and then on the boys side, Jonathan Brownley, who, you know, is focusing on, um, half distance races now, um, exploded on the run. You know, he was with the leaders off the bike, uh, and then completely detonated on the run. And so he really hasn't shown a lot of promise over the half Ironman distance in a field like this, you know, they're, all, they're really good athletes, but. Oh no, five, it must know, have been short. Uh, I haven't checked if it's short or not, but that does seem uh, insanely quick and yeah. 107 for, for second place. But Jonathan Brownlee hasn't really put his mark on 70.3. So races. has he
0: actually officially moved away from the World Triathlon Series racing now? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so he's, he's purely so, 70.3. Yeah. And do you think... Well, we're he gonna might him, still do some. Do you think we're going to see him on long course?
1: Uh don't know, haven't followed that that one yet. I think he's starting with 70.3s and uh, he'll take it from there, but yeah, he's not setting the world on fire yet. Uh, we also had another challenge race, uh, Cone Challenge, Raccoon, Raccoon. Raccoon. yep, that was on last weekend. Emma Pallant Brown took that out on the female side, and then the boys' side, uh, Thomas Steger took
0: that out. Okay, so there's been lots of racing, so let's dig into the big one, guys, because. Uh, it's not all about the world championships this weekend. We've got a race coming up. we're, We're teasing the world championships. What's this race coming up this weekend, John? Got the Himalayan X-Try
1: this weekend, the world's oh. highest extreme triathlon. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. You're not going up Mount Everest or anything like that, but you're doing an iron distance race or close to it. 3.8k swim, uh, 175k bike, and 43k run, 8,900 meters of uh, overall elevation gain. Pretty sure this race has been on the scene for um, the couple of the years, sort of with COVID going around, but it hasn't happened. So this is going to be the first time it happens, um, which is kind of cool. Go to the Himalayas and uh, yeah, it'd be awesome. So, check it out.
0: Okay, with well, the bigger piece
1: person... uh, so one other bit of news that you you scammed over there, Bevan, there was um, Wahoo have also acquired RGT, which is Road oh. Grand Tours. Uh, so they're they're RGT is another online platform, you know, similar to so Zwift and and some of the others. Uh, it's just an a really interesting time in the the, the sort of online market where you've got Wahoo who have traditionally been a um, hardware manufacturer, you know, the wiper and, and bike computers and other components and so on. And now they're sort of moving into the software space. Um, they've, sort of first launched their Wahoo system which is a, a, an online platform using clips like Sufferfest and, and a few others um, but this this is definitely a move in towards Zwift because RGT is more or less like Zwift it's certainly not in the same um, stratosphere as Zwift uh, you know that's just it's like comparing Netflix is, is kind of like the Zwift um, and then you've got all those other sort of peripheral ones and RGT is one of those peripheral ones which is nowhere near as good as Swift yet, but uh, now they've got a hardware sort of manufacturer behind them and probably a hell of a lot more money. Um, we might see this space shaken up a little bit. Very interesting though, because surely Swift makes a lot more money than Wahoo. Swifts massive and, yeah. and but there but they're now step trying to step into the the hardware side of it as well with um, various different swift things sort of in the mix apparently uh, and so they may come out with Swift bikes and and things like that so then they are really going head to head
0: so yeah it's going to be interesting times ahead yeah, it really is. Isn't it? Okay, well, let's dig into the big one, guys. This weekend coming up, we've got the World Championships. Seems odd saying the World Championships this year and at this time of year, and also in a, in a different location. It's the IMA World Championships, St. George. It's, when's it going to be? It's going to be happening Saturday, the 7th of May, starting at 6.15 and 6.20 in Utah time. If you're in New Zealand, it's midnight in Sydney. That's 10 p.m. and the UK, they've got a great time, 1 p.m. in the afternoon. How to watch it, you can go to Man now on Facebook, and it's not going to be on outside sports, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because they've been promoting that relationship, haven't
1: they? Yeah, they're only doing 70.3, so I was quite relieved when I saw that because I thought if it's on their outside sports... Kiwi is going to be completely screwed because unless you want to get up in the middle of the night, you ain't seeing any of it because you can't rewind. So yeah, now it's great that the Iron Distance races are still on Ironman now. Okay, so let's talk about Swimming John. It could be a bit cold could be could be a bit fresh um it doesn't sound like it's going to be freezing you know um so the swim is kind of like a dog leg shape which um may help things a little bit in terms of breaking it up so in kona you basically have a straight drag to the the turnaround boys you got two turnaround boys and that's a straight drag back so once you sort of take off and you you settle into your pack um you know it's Relatively plain sailing. So by this swim being a dog leg with a couple of extra turns in it, hopefully it might break things up a little bit and uh strength string it out a little bit more in the swim. So yeah, the swim is uh going to be a lot fresher and the wetsuits side of it will make it different as well. You know, obviously Kona (laughs) normally is non-wetsuit, and so some of the weaker swimmers perhaps the differential to them might be not as great as what it is to Kona. Uh, so it's certainly going to help the the weaker swimmers. But with the elites, you know, some of them do not handle the cold conditions very well. Uh, so that might have a little bit of an impact as well.
0: So then the, the bike, it's, it's interesting because Kona, Kona's bike course isn't the most challenging course in regards to the hilliness of it. You, you definitely get the winds and the temperature, so it definitely plays the game in a different way. But this is a more challenging bike course than what we'd see in Kona
1: yeah lots plenty more hills and the good thing is the hills it's it's back loaded so the the big climbs and the one they talk about snow canyon all that sort of stuff is is more towards the end so there's plenty of climbing in the lead into that to sort of fatigue people um but yeah i think the really good design of this course is if we want to see things broken up coming off the bike um then that should happen with those things you would hope uh so one, there's a couple of scenarios that might happen on the bike it might stay together reasonably well um, but because of the nature of the bike course a bit like Kona it could really fatigue some of the the runners so yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's awesome that they've got a really good course um, when we had the 70.3 last year we, we saw you know Gustav Eden just crush it on the you know the latter part of the bike going up through the through the hills um, so whether or not we see the same this weekend who knows but I think the main thing is they've come up with a really good course design for both obviously the age groupers and the pros and uh you know if you can't break things up on this sort of course then you've you've really got to go extreme uh, well that's the thing isn't it because like
0: that. like next week you know i wouldn't be surprised if we we're having a conversation saying this was the year the bikers took it you know because yeah. what we traditionally says is very rarely a, a gun cyclist will break away in wincona um tends to be gun cyclists break away and then the runners get them in the end whereas with the course being a bit more challenging Maybe the gun cyclists just get that little bit more of an advantage, which means that they are going to get that, you know, get the win in the end. Mm. You know, you might yeah, see, you so- might see, because often also what you see is you see one gun cyclist do well, you know, not get the win, but, you know, you might see this year we might get, you know, a podium which is mainly all cyclists.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so, but uh, let, let's wait and see. The, the thing that's in the back of everybody's minds is you just got these runners now that can just go so fast so yeah. you know when you've got the Norwegians and you're thinking sweet I've got an 8 minute lead off them off, off the bike you know they could quite easily run you know a mid 230s given it's not going to be Kona conditions which means you've got to be running you know a mid to low 240 to to, to sort of hold on so yeah it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting you know I, I hope something like that happens where we do get several riders off the front with some really healthy leads and then we're going to have to see some uh some pretty Precinct. ferocious running coming in from behind like no, i would love it, it see- if you had a
0: pack of, pack of cyclists going strong to the finish and you know and a pack of runners chasing them down and you know mm-hmm. if you imagine if you know the timing of that if it get it, like you know highly unlikely this is going to happen but it'd be cool if it happened yeah and
1: the the run course is tricky so we might not see those amazingly fast times you know it is plenty of up and down on the run uh so you've got four four climbs um it's not crazy steep or anything like that from the look of it but certainly it's enough to to break things up you know when you're on the the climbs and then the downhills is just going to beat the living crap out of people's legs. So I think uh, we're going to see some fairly
0: crippled athletes, um, both age groupers and pros, once this race is done and dusted. So the disappointing thing about this year is we are missing some of the rock stars, uh, men's side of things, Frodo's out, Gomes, although who knows about him anyway, but Langer and Skipper, those are, you know, particularly, who knows if Gomes would have been there, but Fredino, Langer and Skipper, they influenced the race. Oh, massively, they're bloody dropping like flies.
1: I tell you that. So, and the, more have dropped out now. So, uh, Laura Phillip has been ill as well. Um, Lucy Charles is obviously out. Sarah Crowley raced last weekend. She wasn't um, going to be at full fitness for this anyway. Uh, the Norwegians apparently have had um, head colds. Uh, so, yeah, athletes are dropping like flies. Now, it's still going to be a high quality field, but I just don't recall this number of athletes uh, dropping out previously. You know, when we know we're going to Kona. Um, you know, there's always one or two, but it just seems like there's been quite a few. And and as you said, it's the big hitters that are out. So yeah. you know, they're going to massively influence, could have massively influenced this race. So opens the door for others. Um I did a quick count on the females um, field on TryRating.com on Torsten's site. And, yeah, I only counted 25 um, starters or so, around about 25. And I'm sure there'll be one or two that might drop out between now and race day. So, yeah, a lot of people out. Um, Still should be a fantastic race. On the female side of it, you'd probably think, you know, it's likely to be – and uh, Anne Haug probably is, you, you know, she's a defending champion. And, and, and Kat Matthews. But, yeah, when we say based on form, nobody's got any form because there's hardly been any racings this yeah. season. So there's a few 70.3s. But that's why it's really hard to predict this one. Is uh, And it's going to be fascinating to see how Daniela goes. You know, she's,
0: yeah. you know, like, come on, let's be honest. She's, her pedigree is amazing. She hasn't been of that pedigree in the last kind of 12 months. But you can't write her off.
1: No, no. So that so it's going to be a really interesting race. I think that'll be Anne Howe, um Reef, and uh, and who did I just say before Bevan? Cat um, Matthews. Kat what, Matthews. About, what about
0: Bolter? Because you know, if the field being smaller and a lot of the guns gone, when you look at that, who could be a Bolter could actually take the win?
1: Mm, I can't see anybody on that list. When I scroll through here, I'm just having a look here. No,
0: it's official, Bevan. There will be no bolter. Okay. What about the men's race? The so men's race is—you know—we've we've still got rock stars here. Um, probably a stronger yeah. overall field than the female field, but we are lost. We have lost, you know, like Langer, Frodeno, and Skipper. So, yeah, is so it got... Is it Brownlee's year? Uh, I'm going no, <laughs>
1: but yeah, no, there's definitely a few more question marks in the boys' side of it. You know, everyone's going to say the two Norwegians are the the hot favourites, Um, but yeah, you've got a lot of people who could be bolters, or, or you know, Brownlee. You certainly wouldn't say he's a bolter, but then you've got guys like Daniel Beckengard who uh, could do awesomely. Braden Curry, you'd expect him yeah. to be, you know, in, in sort of the top five. I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if he won it. Um sense. Christian Holgenhagen, Lionel Sanders, Keane lays down there as well. Can't see, can't imagine him doing, um, you know, being the number one. But Sam Long, um, and then we've got our um, uh, Cam Worth. Haven't seen him racing, so I think there's a lot more question marks on the guys' side. I think there's definitely question marks on the female side, but it's what order that top three might be in. Um on the boys' side of it, yeah, I think there could be quite a few, you know, s- surprises in the top five. Who do you want to win? Not who do you think? I, who do you want? Uh, oh, I'd love to see Brownlee probably take it out, and yeah, that'd, be um, cool. Cool. that'd be pretty cool. And uh, just you know, add a bit of bit of fire to the, the the sub seven and make that a bit more realistic. It's never fun seeing a champion capitulate on the run or anything like that. So yeah, that's what I'd like, that's what I'd like to see. I'd say the Brownlee and Reef. I'd like
0: to see Reef back to form. You know, I think if we can get in a, in a few two or three more years out of Reef, that'd be really awesome. Okay, John, let's pause because we've got to go do an interview. So we're going to pause now. We'll be back in a second. Okay, we are back. We've done our interview, so you'll be hearing it later on. But we do have John's short course update. So like there's a bit of news of the Arena Games. Yeah, so the Arena Games was also on while we were away the
1: week uh, last week. And we saw Cassandra Bogrand absolutely obliterate the field in uh, London and then we see uh, justice Nischlag, uh take out the the US side of it uh, I did watch it yeah look uh, this sort of sort of arena games racing, yeah, it's, it's for me it's something good to watch on the trainer and not necessarily something that I'd sit there and um, and mull over for for too long but I think it's um yeah it's just another nice little string to the bow to 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 our sport but not i don't necessarily see it as, as a future of racing one interesting thing with the second round of the arena games bevan they must have been listening to you after round one word? which was in munich and uh they turned it into non-drafting um mm. so that made it quite a bit different and it really meant the race was over pretty quickly on the female side but it, i don't know it was um it was a little bit different uh, it wasn't quite as exciting because things spread out pretty quickly and people were out the back door very quickly. Um,
0: but were it made it for a, a I much watched more as more. Well. Were you surprised about Alex performance? Like, you would have picked him to take it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, and no. You know, he's he's bloody
1: good. I can't imagine he's in top top shape yesterday at this stage. And this guy, Justice Nischlag, has won um, quite a few races before, so he's he's pretty awesome. Uh, so not totally surprised by this. And it, it just seems to me, I've never run on one of these treadmills, but some athletes seem to perform um, exceptionally well on those treadmills compared to others. And Cassandra Bogrand is, is certainly one of them. She just obliterated it, and she is a very, very good runner, and has probably not really shown her true potential and sort of in real life racing. She's had some good performances, but she's um, one of the most talented by the look of it. Uh, so we'll see if that sort of transfers across to, to real world racing. So that was. Although um, well, they, they, they did have
0: a good crowd, so that was
1: a, the. Oh, they had a better crowd. Yeah, it, it was certainly not packed to the rafters. I thought it would be a lot more packed, and it was a good size crowd
0: but it was not packed. I thought there would be more there. I have ran on it. It's funny you say about the treadmill because I've never really ran them either. But when I was up in Auckland doing work last week in our practice studio, they had one of those treadmill. So I didn't go for a long run on it, but I ran for a little bit on it. The thing about it is you've got to get the foot placement right every time to keep a consistent speed because mm. it's it's a self-generated treadmill. So if you literally get your foot like literally like an inch back, you slow down. So Mm. it's really about where you're landing your foot to maintain speed. It was really interesting how fluctuating the speed can be. If you just get your foot in the right place and you're landing, you've really got to put your face, your foot quite far in front of yourself as you're landing into the landing. It's it's definitely a different kind of running and it's quite intense. Um, Mm. Yeah. I watched it. I thought it was Again, like you, it's kind of, yep. I'll watch it. Don't know if I was like, Oh my God, I love this. It, it might be, I think it'd be a
1: bit different if we saw the top 10 guys in the world and top 10 females in the world all going head to head, then I think we'd be a bit more vested. But when you're seeing sort of two and a half minutes between first and 10th in a race over such a short distance, um, it's less interesting to
0: me. Here's, here's, and, here's a new innovation from Isles. Mm-hmm. The last 100 meters of the run, you run off the treadmill, yeah. jump off. You could do like a lap around the pool to the finish line or something.
1: Well, what is the the innovation they're going to be bringing into this weekend? Nice segue there, Bevan, talking of new innovations. Uh, We're moving into Singapore this weekend, which is the grand final. So this is the uh, Triathlon World Championship Series. um, But that is moving to Singapore. And from what I can tell, and I could be wrong here, haven't done my 100% research, but it certainly looks like the swim is going to be in the open water as opposed to the pool. Uh, and then they're going to be doing all that in uh, down in, in Singapore. Um, I know Hayden Wild, I'm pretty sure is going up for it. The way that um, this race in Singapore is going to happen is also a little bit different because it, it, in the Super League you have heats and then you have the final. Uh, and it seems to me that in these previous couple of races, the top guys it's not crazy hard to get into the final. They don't have to work yeah. too hard. But with this one, if they have a stronger field, um, it could be quite difficult and quite a game changer in terms of how they've actually laid the format out because they're going to have heats, and the top two athletes in heat, each heat will qualify automatically for the final. Those placed third through seventh will qualify for a charge. Uh, in addition, the five fastest losers across the heats will also qualify for the charge. So what that means is you're going to have... Some athletes doing a whole extra race to actually qualify for the final, and that could have could have a potentially big bearing on the oh, on yeah. the outcome. Yeah. So um, that's going to be one interesting part of it. And who is actually going to be crowned the world champion? It's kind it's sort of a series, so you kind of have to have done one of these previous events to to stand a chance. So the world championships will be decided via a point system, combining the results from the final in Singapore. Plus, each athlete's best results at one of the adi- additional Arena Games events. Uh, so, the series from Munich and London, where the race winners would get 250 points each, um, in Singapore, it's going to be 500 points and decreasing 7.5% for each position thereafter. So, um, so the likes of Alex Yee and Justice Nischlag on the boys' side, they're in the mix. Um, Beth Potter is obviously in the mix in the female side because she won the first race, along with Cassandra Bogrand, if they're all travelling over to Singapore. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a big weekend of racing, Bevan, because we've got this at the weekend, we've got the Ironman World Championships, and then next week, the short course side of things moves on to the first round of the World Triathlon Series, which is going to be in Yokohama. So uh, I have not seen a start list for Super League yet, but I would hope uh, they're going to have a slightly stronger field, because some athletes might use
0: it as a good shakeout before going over to Yokohama. One thing I, I would be interested in is, is, is how's the business going? You know, like, it, like mm. from the outside, we love what they're doing. It's great innovation. It seems like a pretty good TV package. At least I'm not sure about the arena games, but the other stuff, it, you know, it's really probably the most exciting watching of triathlon you can see right now. I just would love to know, because remember we had that guy on who, who did the Uncle Toby's in Australia, and he said, mm. you know, it's really hard to take these things globally. So it'd be really fascinating to Maybe get Mecca back on because he's pretty honest old Mecca. He wouldn't beat around the bush. But I'd love to see—is it a long-term investment that's actually paying off?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they haven't even announced the the you know the Super League series for for this year. Um, so in terms of the actual in real life super league series which is going to be in uh you know usually in that sort of september october sort of period you know that last year we saw three races sort of back to back um i imagine they'll do something the same but they haven't actually uh as far as i can see haven't announced what they're going to be doing uh, later on this year so yeah i don't know what their business
0: model is long term but um
1: it's a good good form of racing so hopefully we oh, keep yeah, it
0: okay this week's discussion was what does your training what does your partner hate most about you doing triathlon and what do you do to try to work around it vicky jones has got mine hates the fact that i have to stop for health reasons when i did triathlon he took care of my plan mechanics and logistics i did the training and racing we traveled around the world based on the races and we were both fit and healthy he thinks and i agree that in many ways our lives were better with triathlon I don't
1: want any of these happy namby-pamby things in here Bevan this is this is about negativity divorce is happening I've got to change (laughs) and we have got some of that in there uh Peter Colson says she hates how much races cost how do I work around it I have a separate bank account for entries and tell my wife I got a free
0: entry. That's good thinking, <laughs> Pete. That's good thinking, Peter Colson. One of my good mates, Jeff, he's got a has a bike account and he's I think he sneaks money into that. So he can <laughs> uh, good old Debbie Seitz-Weiss has got that. I've gone every weekend. I am in racing training, Uh so we thought he can't beat him, so join him. So he did his first Ironman at sixty one. Never oh, even. That- you don't like see You don't like. You happy, don't like love.
1: Happy, happy, we don't want this. i have competed
0: for eight years. John. He went on to a place in its last Ironman at age seventy. Oh,
1: okay. Well done, David. David Man. David Manley spending as much time as I do, spending as much as I do on races and doing the minimal amount of training to get there. Yeah, David, pick up your game on the training. If you spend races these days are insanely expensive, and, and if my partner wasn't training the house down, if they're putting that much money in, I think I'd be pretty annoyed with you as well, David. Yeah,
0: that's a fair comment. Good old K Bayless Scott, he's a hero, but I'll go on to the next one because you don't like those ones. Nice. Christopher Doyle's got training on holidays, getting up three hours before everyone else mm-hmm. to get this shit done. Walking around all morning, being a tourist, when you all you can think about is your two-hour run that you have to do in the afternoon. Training in holidays can be tough can be.
1: Tommy Morwood says, uh, time away from the family um, for training. Partner can't sleep in is, uh, and if I'm out exercising as she's up with the kids early. To get around, I used to do nearly all my training at night once the kids were asleep. Luckily, I love the treadmill and the
0: indoor trainer. Jordan White's got, she hates that I get better than she does because she's a triathlete as well. Work around us, making sure she gets the upgrades too. a better gear. <laughs> sorry, she, I get better gear than she does. The workaround is to make sure she gets the upgrades. Matt Moran. That would be a problem, because uh, triathlon expensive. If you've got two people in the household doing it and one and, wants the new power meter, oh, it's a and, high conversation.
1: And if you're of similar ability yeah. and you kind of always want to get one up on the other one and you go buy some gear and then they're going to want that extra gear. Um, Matt Moran says, the long weekend effort's leaving me knackered and a bit grumpy, mostly solved by retail,
0: a flash holiday, and lots of washing up. Good old Marcel Van Kempen's got talking about triathlons, so we don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, I'll go Volker, the vascular Viking void. Uh, too, too much. So is, I didn't like triathlon very much, so I don't have one anymore. <laughs>
0: it's one option. Uh, Andreas Wolf's got uh, that any race kills a whole day. Some of them an entire weekend, and leave no time for anything else. Work around. I do very few races and announce them months in advance. Uh, last one I'll do is Shane Chubb. It says our wedding
1: anniversary falls on near near or on the weekend of uh, Torpor Ironman every year. So therefore, I only race biannually to make our marriage through another
0: year. Very good. Good have Mick Simpson's got. This is a positive one, but it's a good one. I used to spend eight to twelve hours a week at the pub at three pint, three quid a pint. Triathlon is much better. Ah, there you go.
1: Nice okay. work, Mick. What's yours? Uh, I think I was hoping for a bit more dirt on this here, Bevan. I am a little yeah. bit disappointed with the audience. Uh, but in terms of uh, what my partner doesn't necessarily like, a few of them have been highlighted here. Sort of time time away um, in terms of time away training. My work around with that is I train early in the morning. So for example, on the Saturday, I've got to do about a five to five and a half hour bike ride and I'll be heading off at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, so then at least it's, you know, at least I'm back on a, a semi sort of reasonable hour for those long sessions but that's probably a big one uh another hate is uh traveling with a bike you know, often oh, we have to tree, go to events, yeah. if, even if so often, you know, say we might go to Kona and uh, and have a holiday afterwards. I've still going to lug the bike around. And not only does she hate that, I hate that as well. I hate traveling with a bike. Um, and yeah, probably another hate would be trying to package holidays around triathlon saying, why don't, why don't we go to do this? Uh, and it just happens to fall around a triathlon. Oh, there's so a reason on i like, there. Oh,
0: what do, what do you know? So those would be three... uh, three Also, when when the kids were younger, I imagine it was not doing the longer course stuff. Yeah, there's never a good... I don't think there's
1: ever a good age with kids, to be honest, until they're probably in their their late teens. Um, Yeah, I think it's a a tricky time. You're almost, in some regards, better off when they are really young, because I was still doing some long course racing. I think you can still sort of not... get, Get away with it's not the right word. It's more in those ages from probably you know, 8 to 13 to 14, I think, where you've kind of got to be a bit more present because that's when the activities really start to ramp up. And then if you are out riding your bike all weekend and you're not watching kids' sports and stuff like that, I think that's pretty detrimental, not to your relationship alone, but to your whole family sort of setup. So
0: kids do make it tricky. Early morning training is the secret for me. I would say mine would have been with my ex-partners because Joe only – I remember – I. Wrote my last Iron Man. I, I just started seeing Joe, and I remember saying to her, I'm, "I'm glad you get to see what this life is like, but it's not going to be good for a fair relationship. So I'm glad I'm moving on from it." Um, I would say my my ex partners would say they get the least tired version of me or the most tired version of me all the time, you know, and that partly because my job's also a lot of energy out for other people, and so you know they kind of got the worst of me, and, and not not that I was a really bad person when I was tired, but it was, you know, the best energy of me went to my training and my classes, and when it come to, and when it come to being a partner, maybe I wasn't the greatest partner because I didn't have the greatest energy. Mm. So that, that's probably a fair comment, you know. That yeah. was probably one of the issues. Um, this week's discussion. This week's discussion is named three the three athletes who will place fifth through to tenth in this weekend. Oh, so we're not trying to do your top threes. Oh, no, everyone's going to be doing that.
1: Everyone's just going to, and then we're going to get the same stuff. Everyone's going to say the Norwegians and the top three females
0: is maybe a bit predictable. I want to, I want to know who's coming sort of, some athletes okay, are going so to come the, fifth through 10th. Okay, So you've got to name three athletes that sit within that fifth through the 10th at the Ironman World Championships. It's at St. George this weekend. Okay. We've got a quiz.
1: We have, and I don't know the answer. Well, I think I know the answer to this, but yeah. Um, Who was the world triathlon series champion before COVID struck? So I'm thinking 2019, because the last couple of years, we've had a few races here and there, and you've had people being called world champions from doing, you know, one or two races. So 2019 season was the last full season. Who was the short course? Um, So the world triathlon series champion.
0: I do have a couple of guesses on this one, but we'll talk about this later on. Later on in the show, we've got an interview coming up, Mark Elliott. He has been an elite athlete himself in his day. He's been one of New Zealand's most influential high-performance program people uh, with triathlon and cycling, and he's just achieved a lot in his time. So we thought we'd get him on to have a chat about all things high-performance. Here is Mark Elliott right now.
1: Righty-ho, team. Uh, as you heard earlier in the show, we've got a fella by the name of Mark Elliott uh, on today. And for Kiwis, you may well have heard of him. Um, for you overseas listeners, you may not have. He was uh, a former physio back in the day and then moved on to getting involved in triathlon. Uh, he was also got second in the coast-to-coast Coast one year behind Steve Gurney. Uh, he was a coach to Bevan Doherty, who was a two-time Olympic medalist, uh, also sort of led the Triathlon New Zealand program and Cycling New Zealand program and is still in the game and the reason which prompted this interview is I bumped into him at a race a couple of weeks ago uh, so he's still doing some tri-coaching with elite athletes so welcome along to the show Mark.
2: Yeah cheers John thanks for the intro good to be here and great to catch up and connect again after so many years of running and sweating alongside you.
1: Yeah so I mean I've given a, a two-second intro to you to you but maybe just tell us a bit about um, yeah you're sort of I don't know. you life a little bit before triathlon and and um prior to probably about 1996 what 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 was life looking like
2: oh well life was pretty uh pretty standard as a as a kiwi boy you know um playing a bit of rugby and um really just uh just found the sport of triathlon because um uh, a rugby teammate said that um you're just not fit enough for the for the game of rugby and i said okay well why don't we do a triathlon and Ended up doing that and um, then just got captured by the sport and, you know, here we are 30 years later, um, still, <laughs> still still, loving the sport and still passionate about it. And I guess it sort of transitioned from, you know, having a go at your first triathlon through to, you know, as you did back in those days, um, you know, wanting to go to the pinnacle event, which was Ironman having a go at that and then getting injured too many times, you know, trying to do Ironman as you do in the early days and um, decided, hmm, seeing the physio quite a bit, that seems like a good gig. So um, ended up going to university and doing a physio degree. So, And that that pretty much was the start of the high performance journey, you know, yeah. going from um, working alongside um the likes of Dr. John Hellemans and taking teams overseas and and back in the the early 2000s, late 1990s, New Zealand didn't have a lot of money in the high performance sector. So The only way um, athletes could be supported overseas was to have a physio beside them and that uh, physio who was me, was pretty much the eyes and ears for the coaches back in New Zealand. And, mm-hmm. um, you yeah, know, that's uh, developed the passion for, um, you know, helping al- athletes, you know, not only be injury free, but to perform to the best of their abilities. And that those critical phases in the last six weeks up into an event and, and right through to competition. So that's uh, where it started, John. And it's, um, yeah, quite a, quite a detailed story after that even.
1: Yeah, so 1996, I I think, was probably your first sort of foray into things, because that was the year we went away to Flagstaff, Arizona, and had an altitude camp over there, and then went off to the the 96 uh, World Champs, which was in Cleveland, Ohio, Um, and we actually had Jamie Hunt on the show a few weeks ago, who was also on that camp, so... um, Uh, yeah, so at 96, I know things sort of started from there, but I think you're probably more into the 2000s where you kind of got heavily involved in it. What was the process sort of, and, and, and how did things happen, not just for you, but for the sport from 96 sort of through to the early 2000s in terms of trying to develop a bit of a, a high performance um, program with, you know, leading into the Olympics in 2000 and 2004?
2: Yeah, so in um, you know, the sport, obviously went through significant change. You know, it got the great uh, opportunity to be an Olympic discipline in the in the late nineteen uh, nineties, and you know, Sydney Olympics uh, was that first opportunity, and, and I mean that just hyped the sport up to another level. Um, at that stage, you know, athletes like sort of um, Bevan, Hamish Carter, Craig Watson, etc., who are you know, you know, just the, the Kiwi icons of the sport were um, just starting the, the journey of what it was like to be a professional athlete in the European phase. You know, back then there was, um, you know, a strength in the sport in America and Europe, but most of our Athletes tended to migrate over to Europe, the French Grand Prix, and that sort of racing. And and I guess the um, those athletes were doing it all on their own, and, and it sort of became clear that um you know they, they knew themselves that they had to operate collectively to get the best out of themselves in training. You know it is swim bike run every day, as, as you guys all know, and it's um you know it's when you're doing it with a bunch of uh, bunch of mates or a bunch of people that can push you, it just becomes such much more of an enjoyable journey. And um you now I guess they recognize that, Um, you know, for the Sydney Olympics, which was the, you know, the first Olympic campaign I was involved in. um, My wife and I really looked after Hamish, Bevan, Evelyn Williamson, um, Craig Watson, even though Bevan didn't make the Olympics, who's sort of their training as a training partner, we sort of got together for an altitude camp and prepared essentially for the Olympics, just with those athletes putting a plan together themselves with their coaches. And, and from that, obviously, we didn't have a successful Olympics, even though I think Hamish was ranked number one in the world. And there was a lot of reasons for that. And I think that's where I sort of um, felt that, wow, there's a whole lot of better things we could be doing for the athletes and the coaches to to grow and develop what it takes to succeed on the world stage. And um, from there, developed into taking on the role as the performance director for Triathlon New Zealand and the in the early 2000s and now oh, about 2002 2001 and um yeah developed from there really and um you know, through to the first little um, successful milestone, which was that double gold-silver in Athens. So, so what, what did you change
1: between, you know, we, we've had Hamish Carter on the show before, but what did you sort of try to change between the Sydney Olympics where for, for New Zealand things didn't go well and a lot of other nations would have had similar stories, you know, there's only three medals that can be handed out. Um, what did you specifically try to change between 2000 and 2004 when we had, you know, completely contrasting performances?
2: Uh, a couple of things, probably, probably the first thing is recognizing that the strength of, um, you know, the, the team or the performance comes from a team approach. And I mean, that, and that's a, you know, you look at some of those attributes that, um, Olympic gold medalists have, it's, um, they always have a tight team of people around them and that's, um, you know, there might be only three or four key people and in, in triathlon in those days, um, you know, the athlete essentially had a coach, um, might've had a strength conditioner, may have had someone who was doing a bit of nutritional work, um, but essentially the the tight team was a coach. So essentially what I did is um, work out how I could bring that tight team of coaches and the athletes collectively together uh, to not only develop them themselves and learn from each other, but also just to ensure that the athletes were developing the skill sets required for the sport, which was you know, you know fastly changing at that stage from um, mm. you know a very Ironman based um, approach through to um, you know that uh, Olympic distance, which you know now even seems quite long distance when you look at some of the short mm. Super League stuff going on. But back then, you know, um, Olympic distance was was the sprint event um, for for athletes who were predominantly um, in that um, Ironman space and and. In America, you know, a lot of the racing was certainly over two hours. So, so yeah, getting into that racing where it was under two hours was you know regarded as a sprint. So it was about just the learnings that were required. Um, starting to bring in a bit of technology. We were, you know, I don't know if you've ever had Brendan Downing on the show, but you know another mm. great Kiwi icon. Uh, he was a sports scientist. Um, you know we were starting to play around with GPS um, back in those days when GPSs were about the size of a cigarette packet. <laughs> um, so so yeah so you had to work out how to strap the GPS to the athlete Um, it was easy enough to strap it to a bike but it was never quite comfortable strapping them to a back of an athlete's uh shoulder blade so yeah a whole lot of things like that john but essentially it was about bringing people together learning from each other and um you know recognizing that there was strength from us to accelerate our learning by getting together and and challenging our thinking around how we can make our athletes faster
0: you know obviously it was a real big learning factor for you at that stage what were you kind of you know, how did you handle that? Because I imagine it was a bit overwhelming because it, it seems like you're such an in infancy of this high performance. How was the management of that within your own journey of when you had your failures and when you had your successes?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, good question, Bevan. I mean, I think the, um, you know, the key, the key fundamental come came back, I think, when I was a physiotherapist. And, you know, when you're a physio, it's, it's about those one on one interactions and, and looking what's, um, you know, someone comes into your room with an injury, all they want to do is get back to training. And I, and I was yeah. absolutely passionate about working out, not only getting them back to training, but actually getting them back better than what they were. And, you know, it's taking those same philosophies really with, um, you know, dealing with coaches. They, they all have their same ideals and, um, and values and principles. And it's actually working out those factors of what's going to get the best for them in the future. So, you know, my journey was pretty much similar to my physio journey was just working out what was best for others and then working out what was best for others to collectively put together. And, you know, it sounds easy to say that and it's, it's not easy. But once you get a bit of momentum and you get, um, you know, three or four coaches buying into that, it's pretty hard for other three or four coaches to not buy, up, buy into it. And, and if they don't, well, there's probably something to be learned from them if they're doing something else. And, and I think it's, you know, some, sometimes you learn as much from your failures. And, you know, Triathlon New Zealand had a failure in Sydney, massive failure from, you know, the expectations that Sydney um, Hamish would go and win gold. And, um, you know, they didn't. So it was about the learning, pulling that apart. And I think that's one of the um, the other factors is that the learning came through from being really analytical about you know what 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 success could look like and then what what you did along the way you know what would you keep stop and start doing I think those simple factors if you kept applying those models um, yeah you you were bound to keep learning and that's that's what high performance sport is about it's about how you can accelerate your learning over the rest of the world
1: yeah um, yep. I had a random one because I often watch uh, I don't watch football very much but I just I struggle to wonder how managers of like big premier league teams um, manage all those egos and stroppiness that must come with those guys and those situations. And I'm certainly not necessarily comparing triathlon to football in terms of the stroppy type of athletes, but how you're dealing with adults. Yeah. But you're dealing with adults, you know, it's one thing, you know, dealing with a junior development program and, and dealing with with that age of athletes. But when you're dealing with high performing athletes and the adults, how do do you kind of deal with um, the stroppiness it must come come and go. You know, if someone's missed a particular selection, but they're kind of still in the program, um, how did how did you personally deal with that?
2: Oh, well, interesting, John. I'm fascinated <laughs> by fascinated by football um, for for a number of reasons, um, and fascinated by the likes of you know just watching someone like Jürgen Glopp. How, how does he has he manage the you know, the tension that must sit within the team? But I, I think the key thing is you know any athlete. Um, what, what do they want? What's, the, what's their one driver? Uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's generally not what, uh, you know, a lot of people would think it's oh, they want to win a gold medal or they want to win the European Champions League. What they want to do is they want to perform to their best and actually put their best performance out there and you talk to any gold medalist, uh, it's not about the gold medal. It's actually about the execution of it. And I think if you can find that sweet spot as a as a manager or director or a coach or a leader, which uh, connects to that athlete around what it takes to get optimal performance, then I think if, and you can bring that collectively. Yes, it must must be much more challenging when your team and people are million-dollar salaries, but mm. there are million-dollar salaries for one thing because they really want to optimize performance. And in football, they need... They know they need to do it as a team. They can't do it individually. They have to do it collectively. Um, and that's the interesting journey that triathlon's gone through as it went from being one where we recognised for New Zealand back in the day because of our limited numbers, we had to get a strength from a team, individuals within that team. That then evolved into very individual-focused, and now we've got to this mixed team relay component. Um, it's coming back to this combination of both individual outcomes but then collectively delivering as a team. And, you know, the team's only as strong as the weakest link. So, you know, I think that's the, the, the crux of that question comes back down to. You've got to find that motivation and drive and, and what really is uh, that athlete looking for to optimise their performance potential.
0: You know, a lot of people hear about high performance programmes in the public and they don't really know what's happening. So what, what, what is the difference between what the public maybe perceives as a high performance programme to what is actually happening within the programme?
2: Uh, well, well, the high performance program is, is a business. It's um, essentially you're, you're creating a structure for um, people to, you know, like like any business, you know, you, um, you, your businesses, you're developing widget A, B and C and, and high performance. It's, um, you know, I don't believe it's just a combination of developing um, gold medal A, B and C. It's actually about developing um, people. So if you take that concept of, um, you know, you're developing a program to um, or, or a high performance business to grow people and to grow their true potential, then that sits across the whole ethos of the the business and, you know, it sits around performance for an athlete, it sits around growth and growth. Um, knowledge development for the coach and it's, it's about uh, opportunities to contribute to that performance outcome for the staff so you know i think the the business is i think it's it's a people business it is about making sure that you're getting the best potential out of the people the other side to it, though, you know, it's um, it's it's always a business that operates under financial constraints. Um, you know, New Zealand um, you know doesn't have a lot of money to play with in the high performance stakes. So, you might be running a business with a, a budget of five million dollars a year. Um, the UK will be running the same sport with a budget of close to thirty to sixty million uh, New Zealand dollars a year. I mean, that was the case in the cycling program. I think we were running at five million per year. Uh, the UK was running, I think, around about 45 million New Zealand dollars. So, so you, you're working out how to balance opportunity costs because you know you can't do everything. You've you've got to be really targeted about what you do. So it's a combination of developing people, balancing finance and opportunity cost, and then you know, making sure you've got a long-term strategy around where you want to go and um you know, I think that was one of the the big learnings um, you know I took between um, Beijing 2008 probably through to 2014 was being really clear about what the sport um, found was important yeah you know, it wasn't what I found was important or knew it was important it was actually about what the the sport was um, need, needed to um, have in place for its long-term success and yeah, you know, the, the great thing of um, you know, cycling's had a pretty bad rap in New Zealand over the last few years, but there's some incredibly good people in there, and they're doing some incredibly good work. And the you know, thing I'm most proud of is the fact that they're doing still a really great job with developing um, young athletes, and and you're seeing that with um, the likes of Elise Andrews, who won, mm. won in Campbell Stewart, who won medals in Tokyo this year. You know, they started in the junior program back in 20, 2012. So you know, that's that's the that's what the high performance program is about. Is about, about developing those people over time.
1: What's it like for the, for the athletes in there? You know, obviously triathlon and, and you've got experience in cycling as well. You know, the money for the for the athletes is is not huge in terms of, especially on a New Zealand level, if you become a, a pro tour rider in, in in Europe and and if you become a, you know, a top sort of top triathlete, then the money's okay. But I guess financially and also just living in that high performance um, environment, again, maybe what are some of the, the pressures that maybe the general public probably don't quite understand
2: yeah um i think the the sport again has changed um you know certainly you know you just can't do anything on on the the, the bones of your butt these days because it, mm. it costs thousands of dollars to fly around the world um, you know, back in the, back in the day of, uh, you know, early 2000s, 1990s triathlon is that the, there was limited racing and it was all within one block. You know, we used to be able to go to Europe for an eight week block, six weeks of altitude and sea level and do three or four key races that would guarantee the points for world championship selection and nomination and all those bits. And, and away you went. Um, yeah. it was was relatively simplistic, and you could do it within, as as mentioned, you know, probably a, so about an eight week block, say, um, and you do a whole lot of other blocks within the year, but they they were generally quite structured. Whereas nowadays, you know, they start racing in February and triathlon, and don't yeah. start and don't finish until December. And athletes are constantly aware of needing to be um, gathering points. They're having to go to races. They're having to go to races to fulfill sponsor obligations. They're having to go to races to fulfill contract obligations. So there's a lot more stress and pressure on them to um, deliver in that space. So I think that's, that's the big change, John, is I think we're seeing, uh, um, you know, it's a professional athlete now all year round. And, you know, they have to be very selective about when they take their downtime. They have to be very selective in their non-Olympic years around, um, you know, optimizing performance over the course of the year to guarantee, um, you know, qualification points. And then they have to be very selective in Olympic year to pinnacle peak performance when it matters. So, you know, I think they're, they're the subtle things, um, you know, the, the challenge around money is, is constants and, you know, triathlon, you know, um, up until we sort of got locked into COVID was, you know, there was, there was a good opportunity there for solid athletes to, to make an income and, and cycling was the same. And that was the, it was always the balance, you know, trying to, with pro cyclists, um, you know, it, it was pretty easy in the early days with the young athletes uh, because they were never going to get pro contracts in the, in the pro tour. So um, we pretty much had them captured within the high-performance program because they knew that that was a pathway to get them there. And, you know, you see some of the, the athletes now, like Paddy Bevan, who's just just won a couple of tours in Europe, mm. or sorry, the Tour of Turkey. I think he just won a stage mm. in Tour Tora Romandie. I mean, yeah. Paddy was in the uh, high-performance program for cycling back in 2011, 2012, just missed out on being, um, you know, in the, in the squad for 2014 for Glasgow for the Men's Pursuit. Uh, but that's where he did his, you know, he he managed to uh, you know keep ticking over as a cyclist without having a pro tour contract in those you know early formative years when he when he needed that support. And then he's you know he's now you know standing up on his own two feet, and you know, it's just mm-hmm. so good to see those um, those guys who, as a young athlete, have um, you know been supported by a national program, uh, come in and out a little bit, and then they've gone on and taken their own kick, and now you know fully you know, self sustaining, which is which is great. So it's it's about that balance of both, both money and professional timing for, for athletes, really.
0: How is triathlon different to cycling? Yeah, and obviously, in your role it was different because cycling was a much bigger participation sport and a bigger sport as an as a organisation. <laughs> but how is it different to triathlon? Uh,
2: oh, well, f- firstly, the cycling programme in New Zealand is um, based around uh, four sports of, of BMX, mountain bike, road and track all collectively together under one high-performance arm. So, you know, you're dealing with... Um, four different sports that operate from um, about 11 seconds to five and a half hours. So that's, um, you know, I guess in a way, that's not much different to to triathlon. You've got, um, you know, super sprint um, right through to um, uh, Olympic distance, half Ironman, Ironman, not not that there's, um, you know, really a high performance focus uh, on Ironman in, in New Zealand. Um, I mean, the, the, the biggest difference I think Bevan is the fact that, you know, with cycling, it's a massive program. Um, we were running over 50 campaigns around the world every year, a team of about 30 staff and 40 contracted support staff that would come in. Um, you know, you've, you have got a, a very uh, strong connection with a lot of the athletes who are developing because they're in a centrally based environment, but then you've got a, um, a whole lot of athletes who are around the ether that are semi pro or pro. That you're having to work across so that's that's challenging and, and you don't see that in triathlon you don't see pro teams like you have clusters of athletes being coached in groups but you don't have pro teams that are dictating the terms of the athlete and you know got a great story of um, us doing a whole lot of work with um, the world champion t- uh, time trialist Linda Villamson back in 2015 we did a whole lot of wind tunnel work and we we worked out exactly what bike she needed to be on to be the fastest she could be because she was an incredibly flexible young lady and was able to get very aero. So we found the right bike, did the one tunnel testing, compared that to a pro team, and we worked out that a bike could save her 15 seconds if we put her on a different brand of bike. Wow. Now you've got to then balance that with the pro team who have no interest whatsoever on her riding any bike but their own, mm-hmm. um, and in the end um, she ended up riding the bike. Um, uh, we had quite a quite a little drama with um, her pro team at that stage, but she rode the bike, won the world champs by eight seconds. Mm-hmm. So you know when in, so you've got to balance those. Now in triathlon you you don't have that. You know if an athlete gets a sponsorship from Trick or specialised or giant, um, they're not going to go. No, actually, I don't want to be riding a specialised. I want to be riding a giant because of doesn't doesn't happen in that space. They'll just grab whatever equipment they can get. So there's quite a difference, I think, in the um, between triathlon and cycling as well in the technology space. Um, cycling is so technology focused. Um, you know, the work we were doing in. In the track, in particular, you know we could be tracking athletes' movement patterns to one thousandths of a second. Um, triathlon um, is still, I think, still taking a journey with power um, and uh, both power development and you know the analytics, because there's so many uncontrollables in a in a drafting style event. So, I think there's a there's a whole lot of technology and controllable factors that sort of operate in the cycling space and possibly. Uh, a little bit more fluidity that sits in triathlon. So there's that side yeah.
0: of it. Can I ask it's, just a random question, Mark? Yeah. Do you kind of know the kids who are going to be stars or, or, or you have no idea? Um,
2: oh, look, I, I think early on when you have um, training camps with juniors, you, you see the kids who have got great values and principles within a team you know, that, that come through and shine through early. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be stars, but it certainly means they're going to be leaders within the team um, of their peers, and I think that's that's a key phase. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of the, yeah, I think you probably can I think I think mm. you see some of the attributes. Um, like I recall seeing Campbell Stewart, who won um, you know medal in the omnium at uh, at Tokyo. you know, I remember seeing him as a junior. Yeah, you know, he he was a standout young man back way back in 2012 you know he was he was a born leader he was um very dedicated he was very professional um same with um you know some of the sprint athletes ethan mitchell you know just incredibly um you know professional at what they do right from the word go so just had the right principles behind now it doesn't mean to say that will always convert um into being into being a champion but they're, they're developing the concepts that's required to be a high performance athlete and that's that's consistency, that's professionalism, that's respect for um, working with others. And it's actually that open mind of constantly learning. And I think, I think if you can spot those, you know, we, we did a lot of work with the cycling program early on um, and particularly around just developing team values and, and working for each other. And, and I think um, the kids who who get that uh, seem to be the ones that do follow through over time because they they recognize the journey is about doing it with others. It's not about doing it in isolation. And I think if you can see those concepts and they train hard and they just never give up, um, never say die approach, then um, it's, it's generally a pretty, pretty good way to transfer them through to um, high performance success in the future.
1: Um, now, you obviously, you mentioned a couple of times about, you know, the New Zealand situation, you know, lack of funding, um, compared to others, you know, say, in triathlon space, you're up against, I guess, the UK, and, and the US in particular, um, do you know much about their programs and how they compare to New Zealand, other than their, their bankroll
2: being a hell of a lot bigger than ours? Um, yeah, not, not the detail, and, and I, I don't think you really have the time to focus too much on um, what other countries and teams are doing. You, you might be looking at the way they're racing. Um, you certainly would be looking at some of the, you know, for instance, uh, our sports scientists, um, strength conditioners, might be through their networks looking at some of the, the work they may be doing around, either. Um, uh, you know, Know, certain training stimulus, whether it's eccentric training loads or whatever it may be. So that there might be some you know, individual views of what those programs are doing. Um, but as far as when it comes down to performance, you know, you, you want to dedicate your, your focus to the athletes in front of you. And um, in, in sport, of you know, and certainly if you look at uh, cycling and in, in the likes of the team sports like Team Pursuit, Team Sprint, you, you're really focused on the athletes you've got and how you can optimise their potential within the strengths they've got, and um, you know you obviously need to be aware of where world leading is, and you obviously need to be setting your targets above that because it's always going to move. So. Um, I mean, my role, um, you know, for instance, where we did spend a lot of time understanding what other programs were doing was when we built the Velodrome here in Cambridge, and that was in the early 2012, uh, 2013, or even 2011, spent time in England, understanding how the journey they'd taken with centralizing their high-performance cycling program. So that's where you're learning. So you you can go back and talk to the people who have been in that environment. You know what worked, what didn't. uh, What would they do if they had the opportunity again? So you start. You know, I guess you're you're accelerating where the the pitfalls might be to to pass over those speed bumps and move on. So, yeah, plenty of learnings from those opportunities, John, as as diving into um, understanding the sports. But when it comes to performance, I think the focus really needs to be on, on your own game. But just knowing, knowing that you've got an, an eye on what the rest of the world would be doing, and, and and the good thing is you've got plenty of world cups and and test events where you can um, you know, test it out to see where you are. It's
1: um it's pretty staggering when we compare the athletes these days to to the to the mid-90s i remember jamie hunt a couple of weeks ago saying you know he was in really good shape and i think he i think he mentioned like he went and ran a 1430 um 5k which you go yeah that's pretty fast but then you're seeing hayden wild going and running uh 1330 or something like that so it's pretty staggering how 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 much the, the sport has really changed over the last probably 15 to 20 years is it just it's just is it for you just got a hell of a lot faster and, and a hell of a lot deeper I mean what, what are some of the key things you've seen evolve since say the the Bevan Doherty era um, and Hamish Carter era to, to what we're actually seeing out there now
2: yeah I mean yes it has it has changed but possibly not as much as um, you know I thought it might have I mean you know, Hayden's quite a special athlete um, he's uh, you know he's come from an incredibly good base um, as a as a multi-sporter, but he obviously has got um, you know, incredibly good uh, ability to tolerate lactate, incredibly good ability to tolerate multiple pace change, and you know, on top of that, got great leg speed. And And the other thing that helps him, he's, um, he's just a whippet, for weight, weighs nothing, so therefore his powder weight and his, um, his efficiency is very, very high. Um, so he's a he's a completely different athlete um, to even the likes of uh, Bevan and Hamish, who you know I think they might have run nationals one year and run about 1450 14, 14. and a bunch of two or three people. You know, if there'd yeah. been a couple of guys running sort of thirteen fifty, I have no doubt they probably could have run faster. Just they yeah. they weren't trained for that. Um, you remember back then, as Jamie was, he was probably training for Olympic distance. Mm. And so, therefore, the requirements for him to actually have to run fourteen, or to run, you know, two forty k's back then, you know, ten k off the bike. If you could run thirty one, you, you were winning a any event mm. in the world. Um, so we reset the bar with Bevan in two thousand and four by trying to run, uh, trying to run three minute k's off the bike for the first three k. Um, and so, you know, in, th- in this day and age. They're, they're probably doing a, a 240, a 250, and then settling into a three, and then they're going again. So, but they might only be going for 5K, so they might just be doing 240, 240, 245, 250, 230 to finish. So, yeah, it's, it's changed. The, the sport's changed from a distance perspective. Um, they're running a bit faster, no doubt. Um, are they biking any faster? Depends on the race um, and the swimming. You know, I think there's probably some subtle changes in the, the kick off the line to the first boy. It certainly we'd be going way, way quicker in that first 200 now than what they did, um, you know, back in the day. So, yeah, it's it's changed, um, but it uh, hasn't changed that much over over 20 years, I don't think. And, um, you know, I think if you found a couple of those athletes like Jamie, Jamie in particular, because he was such a strong, fast um Young athlete, I think if he he was racing in that sort of super sprint sprint distance, I think he'd probably surprise himself if he trained yeah. for it. How how quick he could be, um, just probably just wasn't uh, you know doing specifically. He would have been out doing big long rides, big long runs, big long bricks, um, as opposed to some of that short sharp intensive stuff
0: just on a personal level, you know, you've been an athlete a long time. How do you stay motivated and, and what's your training about now for you, you know, as you age, how does it change it? You're an old fart. <laughs> well, I'm not saying you're an yeah, old fart, but, you know, like yeah, you've yeah. been an athlete nah, for a very long time. Yeah. No, I am not. I
2: haven't called myself an athlete for about 20 years, Bevan. Okay. Um, yeah. So look, I just, uh, I just love keeping fit. Um, me, I'll ride my bike every day if I, if I can, Um and the only time I won't is if I've got to, you know, go to go to a, go to the office in Auckland or something. Um, you know, I'm just passionate about, um, you know, been out and about and keeping fit and healthy I, I still coach young kids um, you know I run a, a coaching group here in Cambridge for the last um, seven years I've been running a, a group of kids from you know 12 to 16 um, I used to coach you know which John and, and you would have been a part of down in mm. down in Christchurch you know uh, out of QE2 where we have up to 100 people turning up for you know Monday night Tuesday night running sessions mm. um, you know I've transferred that down to when I lived in Wanaka for 10 years did a group down there so that keeps me fit trying to keep up with um, the the real athletes, and then, um, you know, up here I've, I've gone and started working with younger kids because they're easy to keep up with when they're only 12 years of age. <laughs> um, so yeah, nah, no no longer an athlete, just enjoy being fit, just uh, love riding my bike. Um, uh, you know, vested in the gravel bike last year, just can't get enough of riding it. I'll, I'll, I'll never ride anything else, it's just so much fun. So, um, enjoying it and enjoying seeing, you know, uh, helping others, uh, you know, achieve their potential and and uh, learn on the journey.
1: Yeah. awesome mark love your work i don't suppose you do any social media or anything like that if people want to follow you oh no. pretty no you're old you're old school i picked that um awesome no thanks for your time mark i don't, I don't have enough
2: time it. don't have time john for social media <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. awesome no. mark yeah. love, love yeah. your work and uh thanks so much for your time and we'll uh see you at another race sometime soon
0: Jombo your thoughts
1: Oh, Mark's a good man. I've known him for, for a long time. And, uh, yeah, really shaking things up in, in New Zealand and calls a spade a spade. And uh, professional yeah. as well, was not he? Yeah, no, he did some great things for, for, I think that's the right word, Bevan, professional. He he kind of brought triathlon um, from, in New Zealand at least, from being, you know, everyone sort of doing their own thing and, and helping out where you can to actually making it a hell of a lot more professional.
0: So um, good on that man. And it's great to see he's still involved in, in the sport. It is nice when you hear, you know, it's, it's like, I remember we did the interview with Messick, not the one you did a couple of weeks ago, but the one we did a while ago. And, you know, when you hear the higher level people of how they perceive something and how they look at something, you know, a lot of us sideline kind of fans can be quite critical of these types of organizations, but we don't really get the depth and understanding of what they have to do. and. You know, it's nice to talk to someone like Mark and actually think of the bigger picture of what they are trying to achieve in these environments. So it was really mm. good to get him on the show. Okay, let's go to this week's Winger, Winger of, the week. of the Week.
1: And I put it into to random.org this week, Devin. The first person hadn't done any swimming or running, so they were out. Uh, the next person was yesterday, they were number 95. They've actually dropped four places in the last day. Oh, 99. 99. Uh, so number 99 was Barbara Nelson. Um, what do we call Barbara? I think it's the 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 rocket. I think it is. But she's been on the show before, and I think she was actually talking from memory. It was around menopause. Um, oh so yeah. that was many many years ago. Barbara came on one of our camps. Uh, it was to. Hawaii a few years ago. Uh, So last week, she did 12 hours and 54 minutes. So that's what you got to do to crack into the top 100. 12 hours and 54 minutes from 11 sessions. She did 2 hours and 30 minutes of swimming, 5 hours and 36 minutes of cycling, and 4 hours and 47 minutes of running. Uh, Barbara is from Idaho Falls, funnily enough, in Idaho. Uh, And she's done races all over the world and done fantastically well uh, over the last little period. Uh, Let's just have a look here. Uh, Running wise, she's done 44 runs so far this year. Uh, How many swims has she done? She's done 26 swims. Barbara, I am taking you down. I've done 41 swims so far this year. Uh, And her longest ride has been 181.5 kilometers um, and the biggest climb only 869 meters. Barbara, we need to take you across to Europe. And get you riding in some of the mountains. She did Ironman Cozumel back in November of 2018, which was her long, longest ride, 181.55 kilometres. And that still staggers me that Cozumel is where we had Christian Blumenfeld go and do that amazingly fast time yes, on debut. Right. And the course is 1.55 kilometres long. Uh, so very impressive. One point, so Barbara?
0: long. Go long. Barbara,
1: yeah. awesome work. Well, one thing I do on to say, list. if you look at her photos...
0: They've got a pretty cool hydro slide at her pool. You know, if (laughs) if you look at the photos. She's got some photos of herself. She's finishing one seventy point three. Got the cool glasses on at the swimming pool. She's done the spring tour in Saint George, Utah. But then she's also got a local swimming pool. It's got the hydro slide. So maybe you do you do a lap. You run up. You can do come down the hydro slide. You do another lap. That'd be a good set, wouldn't it? You've got to sprint up the steps, come down the hydro slide, and then swim a lap. Oh, we used to do that all the time back in the good
1: old days in Kerry too, it was an absolute gut buster because that was a really high, uh, Oh, so really we did do that. This is the old hydroxide, the really old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and then we'd uh, occasionally do that. This was the swim training days. Um, they turn the hydroxide on and we'd just do a few reps up there and then, you know, Super League style, you kind of, you run up, come down the hydroxide, get your breath back and then you'd be diving back into the water and you'd feel like absolute rubbish. Great session though.
0: Oh, that's, that's such a cool idea, mate. Mate, oh, we're thinking on the yeah. same page. yeah. I'm a triathlon coach. I tell you. So, Barbara, you need to go to your – I'm sure your crew do this anyway, but say the Iron Talk crew says we have to do 100 reps. Hide just slide, one lap, 100 reps. (laughs) That's the challenge. Okay, Barbara and Nelson, you are our Our wanger of the week. Okay, so the question is, John's quiz question was, Who was the World Triathlon Championship Series, both female and male, in 2019? Now, I'm going to say, 2019, was it Brownlee? Was it Jonathan Brownlee? Because was it the year when Alistair pulled him across the line? No, uh, you're dreaming, mate.
1: You're dreaming, mate. Uh, it was years. It was years before that. Now I'm going to go for Vincent Louis, and because oh, yes, I'm, right. I'm thinking 2020 was COVID, and 2021 was sort of sort of COVID, wasn't it? Not a little, little less so. Um, so I think I think 2019, the yeah, World Championships right. were in Lausanne, I think, and Christian Blumenfeld won his first ever race at the grand finale and absolutely smoked it but i think probably vincent louis took out the series on the boys side and on the female side i'm gonna go for i'm not quite sure so much on the female side i don't think it was flora duffy because i think she was having injury challenges Uh, so i'm gonna go for
0: georgia taylor brown Okay, well, wait Let's a second. See. The year that when he did push him across the line, that was to win the championship series, wasn't it? Correct. Yep. Yeah. I'd, I'd be guessing that
1: was probably 2017, something like okay. that, maybe. 2016 okay. even.
0: Okay.
1: Let's have a look here. 2019. Du, du, du. Jonathan oh. Brownlee. I was wrong. <laughs> Katie Zaveras took it out. Okay. Uh, by the looks of this, this is Wikipedia. I haven't gone to triathlon. So it's Katie Zaveras was first. Yes, Lemont second. Georgia Taylor-Brown third. On the boys' side, I oh, was right. Vincent Louis was first. Mario Mola second. And Javier Gomez in third place. Okay. The last time Brownlee finished second in 2016. So that was probably the year when... So does Jonathan Brownlee Bush, ever
0: actually won the whole series?
1: Uh, he has in 2012. Yep.
0: But that He's wasn't got,
1: that year, was it? No, no he got second 2011, uh, second 2011, first 2012, second 2013, third 2014, second 2016, and hasn't done anything since then. Great athlete, just net, it's he got olympic medals so you can't go best at it and he's an got, he's got and and he's got some world titles you know he did win races um but he didn't win his yeah you know he just wasn't that dominating figure like um like a, a molar or, or a sort of a gomez
0: necessarily was so um so still awesome, you, like i know he's moved on 70.3s and he hasn't necessarily performed at the level that maybe you you'd hope or think uh do you think we're going to see it or do you think maybe not No. Nah. You Not happening.
1: Not happening. Why? I don't know you just, you usually see short course athletes come across and often have instantaneous success or instantaneous average averageness. So I don't, uh, I, I see him being reasonable, but I don't see him being a, a world beater when you've seen other athletes that have come across and boom, they are straight out of the gates and, and straight onto it. So someone like, a, again, a Bevan Doherty, his first 70.3s, you know, he was just absolutely spanking it. And we've seen quite a few others that have, have done sort of similar things. Alistair Brownlee, his first 70.3, boom, he was out the gate. Look at the some of the current ones where you say, Martin Van Reel, um, Christian Blumenfeld, um, Gustav Eden, all those guys had pretty much instantaneous success and, and really crushing it. Whereas Brownlee's done several now and he hasn't, it's not that he's been in the top three or anything, he hasn't even been in the top three. He's been well out of it. So, no, I think um, I can't
0: see it happening. Love to see it because he's a great athlete. So, another question I have for you is of the batch of athletes who went through Tokyo this year who are kind of at the end of their career in short course. Who's come through already and, and how they're doing?
1: Um, Henry, are you talking in terms of how they're doing in short course racing? Well, no, the, the
0: ones who are kind of at the end of their short course career, who we would like, like the Brownlee, like Jonathan Brownlee, who have kind of given up their time in the short course, probably got a few more years in longer course, 70.3s and Ironman. You know, there's always that post Olympic phase where we're going to see that next generation or that, that short course guy go to longer. Um, you know, Jonathan Brownlee. Yeah
1: it's only it's only May so I think we'll have to save that judgment till later in the season because we've seen a few of them do races but they're still racing uh short course so we've seen Martin van Reel absolutely crush it at a 70.3 but he's still very much focused on on short course stuff so um and we've seen Vincent uh, Vincent Louis. Uh, he was going to be doing one, but he pulled out for some some reason. So he's probably the other one that will be really interesting to see if he does try to do some half-distance races as well as... Uh, A- and as would well you, how as would you pick tri- him? On. Uh, haven't seen yet. So I think he, he's only done one and he didn't sort of blow everybody away. So I think he, he's pretty pretty strong around and he's yeah, I think he'll do well. Okay, sweet. Okay, John Swimset. Yeah, well, I haven't been swimming for the last two weeks thanks to bloody COVID. So uh, I was sort of resigned to doing um, some swim cord work. So this is a a swim cord routine that I would do. Uh, So I I generally only do sort of 15, maybe maximum 20 minutes of swim cords when I do that. And last week when I couldn't, uh, get to the pool. Um, I think I did probably three three sessions. What I do is I set up a, a, an app, and I have it going 50 seconds on 10 seconds recovery. And I'll set that for you know usually 18 minutes to, to run. And I'll I'll pick out some exercises, I'll pick out six exercises, and I'll do them in pairs. So what I did uh, yesterday, I think it was, was three times six minutes. And I had um, the first set I did, was single arms, so just uh, having one arm recovering out the front, pull the other arm through I'd do uh, one minute on that and then i will do a wide clap which is when you're facing away from the wall and you're kind of just clapping your hands together uh, That was, and I'd repeat that through three times and then set number two would be double arms so a little bit more sort of butterfly style and then I'll do a rotator cuff exercise where you're facing away from the wall you have your arms up kind of in a crucifix position then you put your hands pointing to the ceiling and you're just rotating them forward do that exercise three times through and then the last round would be doing a freestyle arms, so you're actually doing the pull through and the recovery phase and breaststroke arms and again do that three times through key thing when you're doing swim cord routines is you need to get the cords mounted nice and high so at least above your head and then when you bend over the main thing is is you need to have a flat back. You need to be looking down and having a flat back. So if you've got anybody at home, whether it be a child or a partner or anything, just get them to take a little bit of footage of you side on and you need to be bending over. You need to poke your bum back a bit like you're going down into a um, sort of a squat and you need to have a nice flat back. Uh, Otherwise arch back, you're just not going to be doing it correctly. So that's my swim set for yesterday. Going back to the pool today, Bevan, it's always ugly when you've been out of the pool for Nearly two weeks. Back Dangerous in the pool, time.
0: Dangerous ahead. Dangerous ahead. Okay, let's say thank you to our patrons. We've got Ed, the unbreakable Smith.
1: We have Sonia, the glue brace girdle,
0: along with her husband, Walt. We've also got Scott, the Minister Morrison. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.imtalk.me. Go through to support us. Go through the process. You support the boys. get a gift. go to draw to win some cool prizes. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. You could also check out epiccamp.com. He's got some camps coming up, um, including one in New Zealand and going back to Rout next year. Uh, my podcast, Bevan James Isle Show. I did a show yesterday, which I've been getting some good feedback on, so you can check that out. Also, other content, you can email us at i'mtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Jombo, your goss. Well, we didn't get
1: to go to Kiteiri, Bevan, on last. Oh, week but did show, you actually we, go? we people would have heard. Oh, yeah, I was lying on the beach, blah blah blah. Tested positive the day before we were due to go, so we had to stay at home. Had a had a staycation. Oh, bugger. and
0: you couldn't yeah. even leave the house.
1: Not really, no. So uh, not that, really. That sucked. <laughs> well, no, we did. We didn't. Um, so so that was a it was a no. We didn't leave the house uh so that was a real bugger and just hung out at home and what did you do with rain. yourself did a, did a bit of gardening I went pretty hardcore on the garden because of the version of COVID I had. And I totally understand there's a lot of people out there that are getting completely smoked. Some yep. people that get a sore throat and that's about it. Um, I was probably towards the lesser end. I had a, a sore throat on day one and then got a, you know, a bit snotty, just sort of a regular sort of flu, never got really bad, a little bit of a cough, but nothing too bad. And, and certainly coming out the other side reasonably comfortably. Keith, key of the for me is, is sort of keeping an eye on heart rate and my heart rate's certainly under control. Not Don't have that. Um, fatigue a lot of people sort of experience post-COVID where you're, you're rooted for a, for a while and, and if you're in those circumstances guys you've got to just yeah. shut it down and just take it easy and unfortunately just take it on the chin so I'm really grateful that I've had a pretty mild version so yeah we were hit the garden pretty hard um, hang out with the kids Bevan I tell you what Lego Bevan we, what we a big focus last week was Thomas decided to sell his Lego oh, no he has got a ginormous set of Lego. So uh, right, it's just, it doesn't
0: use it anymore. He's older. You know, it's not
1: really as, yeah, anymore. just, just kind of want to get rid of it and got other things he wants to buy. So he said, why don't you put it up there? He had a lot of S- star Wars Lego. And okay. what they do with Lego is they, they bring it out and it's always a limited edition. And then once it's gone, they don't re-release that set. Oh, okay. that sets. So it's, it's a good, I did yes, not realize, did not realize <laughs> the value of it before we started this project. And, uh, by the time we're done, we've got a couple more days, a few more things up on Trade Meet. It was a big project getting it all up there. And now we've got to package it off and send it up. He's going to make like two grand. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. There was, there was bidding wars that went mental. There was like a a, part, a piece that was a set that was about 25 bucks retail, it went for 101 bucks. Um, and other ones, you know, he got face value for a lot of the, the sets and for a number of sets he got you know, a little bit um, more than face value and sometimes a lot more. And yeah. even on, um, even on other sets, you know, he still would have got more than 50% of, of resale. So it was, uh, it was mind blowing. What, um, wow. I was expecting to say a couple hundred bucks. What's he going to do to oh. The 2000? Oh, he's, he's run to his, he wants to do lots of hiking. So he's buying, he's done all the research into a lightweight tent and a lightweight sleeping bag and all this sort of stuff. So uh, stuff. yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. People, So parents, I think it's the Star Wars that that is the crux. Like We've got some other stuff listed. That's sort of maybe get a few bucks here and there for it. But the Star Wars stuff has just gone nuts. Wow. That's
0: out of it. Well, I've got two stories for you. So one is, have you got a TAB account? Yes. So Joe, on the weekend... TIB for overseas listeners is, uh, is like betting and you can bet on the horses yeah. and so sports, sports betting in New Zealand. I've got an account. I, I put $50 in it about two years ago and I'm up to $140, so I'm doing all right. And I do small bets very, very rarely. Um, but Joe, they were doing $50. If you put $10 into account to give you a free $50 account. No, I've played, played that game. Yep. So, so Joe thought on the weekend she'll do it and she put it in and she put two bets on. She put Canterbury to win the rugby and the oh. Warriors to lose the league. Oh. The Warriors won, and for those people overseas, Canterbury never lose. Like, we, we're arguably one of the greatest sports teams in the world, it's so good. Um, and the Warriors always lose. She lost both bets, she was not yeah, she happy. She did, and she couldn't go. By, we we're going to be one like two hours one point. Yeah, 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 exactly. She couldn't. And with the Warriors, about 10 minutes ago, I was like, they're gonna win this, so I put three dollars <laughs> on it, and got ten dollars back, so I was pretty happy. With that. <laughs> um, and then So the story about Sam and I, so Sam and I were doing my filming for my video. And one thing that's really fast, if you walk around town with somebody who's got a proper film thing, people are so nosy. Like it's because we're doing it right in the center of town. And um, it's just really interesting how people, it's just, people are so attracted to it. But we're doing this and these four little shitheads come up to us, probably about 12, 13 and little shitheads. And they're just asking stupid questions and wouldn't leave us alone. And then one of the kids said, "What would happen if I grabbed this from Rand?" And, ran? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just, and I, I was, I was over them by the stage, and I just said, "Oh, I'd turn around and I'd if you up," <laughs> like quite seriously. Tough yeah. <laughs> <That's laughs> guy. You could, see, you could see Sam was quite shocked and dismayed. <laughs> I was kind of, I went on that tone because I was, I was over them. You know, they were cheeky boys, and I get, it. I was probably one of those kids myself when I was a teenager. But when he I said that, overstepped the mark. Yeah, this overset the mark and the other kid goes and go, so, what did he just say to you? And he said, He said he's gonna eat us up. And I was like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So bugger off your heads. <laughs> <laughs> oh annoying teenage boys, eh? You're gonna uh, love them. Yeah. I was I was definitely one of them myself at that age, so I can't I can't be critical, but it's quite nice for them when they moved on, I tell you. There you go. Good. They were i tell you what, these kids weren't thinking about buying tramping gear, John.
1: good times
0: anything exciting happening for you this week Bevan um, no book project John book project got an official date coming out last weekend of June I'm just working like a beast to be honest memo Um, for you Mother's Day on Sunday actually no that's arranged I plan to walk with my mother and lunch so what about you what do you do with your mum yeah I'll
1: I'll be doing that (laughs) Yeah, I've got to look after my not mother, mother, a bit more than my mother, mother.
0: Wait a second! Isn't the kids' jobs
1: to look after their mother? <laughs> that's what we, we we attempt. That's and that's that's the theory. That's the theory. theory. Anyhow, Right. Back in the studios next weekend. I won't be breathing COVID all over you. Okay. Here we go. Wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mindo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.